Sunday mornings, we've been taking the journey and just uh, about Tittleworth, learning to trust the Lord, and it's a journey that I'm on. I feel like I'm kind of a new kid again, just learning to trust my Heavenly Father. And again, learning to trust, we can learn a lot from children because children have that childlike trust in their parents. I remember growing up, and I, again, I have to think back pretty far when I grew up, but I never really worried about anything growing up. I never worried about whether the house payment was going to be made. I didn't worry about the electric bill. I never stayed up stressing whether we were going to have food in the, in the refrigerator. I guess I believe my parents were rich. I don't know. I just, I always felt safe with my parents. We didn't maybe have a lot but I always just trusted my parents. And that's how I want to live my life in my walk with God, just to believe that my Heavenly Father knows, He cares, and I don't have to really stress out over any of it. And so we've been calling it Tittlewith. Everybody say Tittlewith. And that means trust in the Lord with all thy heart, that childlike trust. And so the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about building a foundation because really, if we're being honest, it's hard to trust a God that we do not know. Or if you have a wrong concept of God, it's really hard to trust a God that is not a loving. And we've talked about God being a God of love and that he loves us. He not only loves us, but last week we even said he likes us. And it's amazing how many people will say that God loves them, but they have a hard time believing that he actually likes them. Because again, we know our flaws, we know our struggles, and God knows that. He knows you're a work in progress, but he loves you every day, every moment. He loves you, and he not only loves you, but again, he actually likes you. And so as we move forward, again, Jesus referred to God as Father about 165 times, which is really kind of amazing. But to me, the one time that I kind of focus on is when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he referred to God as Abba, Father. Now again, Abba is an Aramaic word, a little bit out of uh, our thinking. But Abba, again, just that childlike tenderness, the rabbis, again, would say that children would call their father Abba. And even today in Israel, you'll hear little children, if they're looking for their, their parents, they'll say, Abba, Abba. They still use that term. And so when you hear Abba, always think of a childlike tenderness. But here he's an adult. We don't have to be just a child to say Abba. But even as adults, we can come to God with that childlike tenderness and know that he loves us as our heavenly Abba. Again, how many of you have tried using Abba in your prayer life? All right. A few of you, some of you, how many think it's a little bit odd, still a little bit odd using Abba, but it's okay, all right? When nobody's around, nobody's looking, just refer to him as Abba. Jesus did, and Paul said in, in Romans and Galatians that we too, as we get saved, were to cry out, Abba, Father. Again, that childlike tenderness. So just hang out. Some of us have not been around kids for a while. Get around some kids and just look at the tenderness and the faith they have, and that's who I want to be in my relationship to my Heavenly Father. And this morning, we want to talk about kind of the, on top of that, once we get to know that God is a God of love, that He cares about us, then we can begin to trust His Word. 
And let me say, it's impossible really to trust his word if we don't have the right concept of God. And so knowing God is foundational. And then we know, once we know God, that he's a God of love, he's our heavenly father, then we know that what he says to us, we can absolutely trust. How many of you know children just trust their parents? I remember when our kids were really young, we had bunk beds, and our kids would get up on the upper bunk bed, and I remember the first time I said, jump off! And to my amazement, they jumped. I, was, I don't know if I was even ready. They just leaped because they thought Dad was Superman. I did catch them. And by the way, I haven't done that for 25 years. If I asked him to jump off now, I would be a pancake on the ground, all right? But back then, they just jumped. They just believed their dad. I mean, to have that kind of faith, that's where I want to be in my walk with God, that when God speaks, I just have a childlike trust that I'm willing to do that. You know, all the way from the beginning, God is trying to teach us to trust his word. But again, we can't really trust his word until we get to know the heart of God, when we get to know God as a God of love. So I want to ask you one question here to kind of start off. Suppose you went to school for 40 years. Some of you can relate to that. If you go to school for 40 years and you just have one homework assignment in 40 years, how many of you think you should be able to pass? All right, should be able to pass. And so I want us to kind of go, we're going to kind of start with the children of Israel in the wilderness. And we're going to, how many of you have ever skipped a rock across a lake and just watch it? We're going to kind of skip a rock through the scripture today and just kind of look at some passages where God is trying to remind us to trust his word. That really is one of the elementary lessons of the Christian life is that we can trust what he says to us. Once we know who God is, then we can have confidence to trust his word. So we're going to begin back in the, with the children of Israel going through the wilderness journey for 40 years. And one of the basic lessons God was trying to teach them for 40 years is can God's word be trusted? 40 years. He was trying to teach them mainly that one thing, can God's word be trusted? Now, if we're going to be honest, you remember the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. I don't know how many there were. Some say one million. Some say three million. So I'm going to be in the middle, say about two million roughly. Can you imagine pastoring two million people going through the wilderness? And you got to provide for their daily needs. And there's no Walmart out there. There's no McDonald's. But you got to just trust that God is big enough to not only get you out of Egypt, but he's big enough to get you through the wilderness. Now, someone has said to me, and I haven't verified it, but someone has said to me that if they were to walk in a straight line from Egypt to the promised land, they could make it in 11 days. 11 days, and it took them 40 years. Now, I've had a couple ladies tell me, well, Pastor, that's because Moses wouldn't stop and ask directions. And always when I say that, I see a couple wives nudging their husband. I told you, I told you. But that wasn't it. God was taking them through a 40-year school to teach them primarily one thing, that you can absolutely trust my word. It's so important. If we're going to trust in God, we got to know who God is, but then we got to believe that what he says to us, we can absolutely jump when he says 
jump and know that we are 100% safe. So let's kind of go back in Deuteronomy 8. They're kind of reflecting back of the 40 years they've been in school. And I call it the Wilderness University, Tittleth 101. I mean, all of us have to go through a wilderness time in our life where God is going to teach us primarily, can you trust my word? And so he says here in uh, chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, let's read together. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. So they weren't just wandering around totally out of God's will, but God was leading them that whole 40 years. And so God was very much in control. And I just want to remind you today, whatever you're going through, God absolutely knows everything that's going on. So he says God was leading, God was in control that 40 years. And so there are some life lessons from the children of Israel. I've had people say to me, why do we study the Old Testament? We're New Testament believers. But the Bible tells us we can learn lessons from them. I like how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's read together. And again, this is out of the Amplified Bible. Now these things happened to them as an example and warning to us. They were written for our instruction to admonish and equip us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And if you look there in 1 Corinthians, he was talking about the children of Israel. So he says we can learn from their process, from their 40 years of education, we can learn something from that, all right? And so they had to overcome adversity, and there's always adversity in life. He says there, to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And so again, the primary lesson he was trying to teach the children of Israel is that you can trust my word. You can absolutely trust. Now, to be real honest with you, when you think about what it meant to take care of two million people, how many of you would like to be in charge of feeding and making sure there's enough water for two million people? Can anybody say stress? And so the children of Israel, sometimes they didn't always have food when they wanted. They didn't always have drink. And here's what. Let me give you a couple things of what will happen if you're not trusting God. What we can learn from the children of Israel, when you're not trusting God, you begin to grumble and complain. Check it out. When people begin to grumble and complain, that shows they're not trusting God. And sometimes I find myself grumbling and complaining. Now, you guys are probably way more spiritual. But sometimes I say, God, you know what's going on down here? The price of gas is going up. Food's going up. I don't know if this person gets in office, if that person stays in office. God, what, what are we God says, relax. Relax. And so when you're not trusting God, just if you can just listen to someone, when they're grumbling and complaining, when they're worrying, when they're uptight and stressed out, it's a sign that they're not trusting their heavenly father because God's got this thing. And so he goes on to say here, by the way, someone kind of put it in language where I can understand it. They said to provide enough water for the children of Israel out in the wilderness, it would be equivalent to 94 tank cars of water every single day. 30,000 gallons per tank, 94 tanks, every single day it would take that much water to provide for the children of Israel. It would take enough manna, 160 boxcars worth of manna, every single 
day. And for you farmers out there, I wanted to put it where you would understand it. Each boxcar would hold about 600 bale hay. Now, for a city boy, that means nothing. But every bale of hay, about 50 pounds. So can you imagine every day providing 94 tank cars full of water, 160 boxcars worth of manna every single day? That would be stressful. But let me just give you some good news that not once God was taking care of them people out in the wilderness. And if God can take care of them out in the wilderness, if he can provide that every single day, do you think we have a chance in America? We are so blessed. We are so blessed. I want you to know your heavenly father, he's got this. And man, we ought to read that story and have hope and encouragement that our Heavenly Father, our Abba, He knows every detail and He's got this thing. Now, if we were there, wouldn't you love to think if we were part of the children of Israel that we'd be singing victory in Jesus? Woo! We might be singing red letters. I don't know. They wouldn't understand it, but they would one day. But we'd be singing. So we're learning. So God goes on to say, why did they go through that 40-year wilderness? Let's read together out of Deuteronomy 8. So he humbled you, he allowed you to hunger, he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. One lesson. Why did they go through the 40 years? He says, I was trying to teach you that you can trust my word, that you can believe every word that I say. It is one of the basic lessons in the Christian life of learning to trust. But again, you cannot trust his word if you don't know him. Knowing him is foundational, and once you know him, then it's a piece of cake to trust him and to know that he's got this every day. Well, they get to the promised land, and so they're going into a land which the Bible describes as a land flowing with milk and honey. Describes it that way in Deuteronomy 31 and Joshua 5. But once they're getting ready to go into the promised land, guess what they need to remember? They got to rely on God's word. They can't no longer just wing it and do it themselves. They still have to trust God. So he says, again, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You know, they didn't have to do one day in their own strength. God never expected them to live one day just doing the best they can. He says, I'm going to be with you. Just like he was with the children of Israel, the 40 years in the wilderness, he said, I'm going to be with you. And then he went on to say, in the book of Numbers, it reminds us that they had some obstacles. You know, I wish that life didn't have any giants or any mountains. I wish I could just go from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. Wouldn't that be cool? If I were designing this thing, it would be so easy. But he, remember when they went to spy out the land, they came back and they sent in 12 spies, one leader from each tribe, and 10 of the 12 leaders came back with a negative report. They said the people that dwell there are strong, the cities are fortified and very large. As a matter of fact, it's said in the book of Numbers, they said we are just like grasshoppers to them. They are really big people. Now, because of the negative report, 
They feared going in. But Joshua and Caleb said, we can do this. We can do this. God has promised us this. We can do this. They had that childlike faith that God was big enough not only to get them in, but to take care of them. I want to have the faith of Joshua and Caleb. I want to have the faith that if God tells us to jump, that we leap with both feet because we know that he's faithful. We know that he's faithful. And then he goes on to say this. Their success depended upon whether or not they believed God's word and whether or not they lived by his word. Same lesson he taught them in the wilderness. Let's read together from Joshua chapter 1. Would you join me? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. In the King James, this is the only place in the entire King James Bible where success is mentioned. And he promises the children of Israel, you will find success that if you'll live by my word, meditate on it day and night, don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left, don't put your opinion in it, just walk in my word and you will find success. All that they learned in the wilderness, he wanted them to put that into application once they got into the promised land. Now let me say, did they all learn that in the wilderness? You know, they went to school for 40 years. Did they all learn it? The sad is no. The Bible says in the book of Numbers chapter 14, I think it's verse 29, that all those who came out of Egypt who were 20 years and older died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Isn't that sad? They died in the wilderness. They did not ever really trust God. Even though they got out of Egypt, they never got in the promised land. They died in the wilderness because they didn't have that childlike faith. You know, one day when we get to heaven, it's going to be amazing. going to be awesome. But I just want to tell you, you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to enjoy a little heaven on earth. I think God wants us to enjoy it right now if we'll learn to trust him. If we'll learn to walk in his word, not go to the right or left, but just walk in his word, he's got this thing. You know, when Jesus came along, when God took on an earth suit in the person of Jesus, guess what the first thing he had to do when he began his public ministry? He had to go to Wilderness University. Because that's how we all have to go through that process. We all have to learn to trust. And so the Bible says that after he was baptized, the very first thing, before he preached a sermon, before he healed the sick, before he discipled anybody, he had to go to Wilderness University, as I like to call it, Tittleth 101. He went up into the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Because he had to prove to the devil and remind us that man does not live by bread alone, but we can live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What the children of Israel failed in the Old Testament, he succeeded. What they spent 40 years trying to learn, he did it in 40 days. And the Bible says he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. So he was led by God's Spirit, just like they were led through the wilderness by God. And the Bible says that he had to overcome some doubt. I think Satan was trying to cast doubt. Remember every time Satan came up to him, and by the way, I think he was tempted the whole 40 days. We only have three temptations mentioned in the Bible, but I think the whole time. Can you imagine being with the devil, hanging out for 40 days? 
But Satan was trying to do everything he could to get him distracted from his Abba and from trusting his father. He said to him the three times that are recorded, he comes to Jesus and says, if, if you're the son of God, he wants to cast that doubt. Because if you don't know your relationship with God and he can get you to doubt the father's love for you, then he's got you where he wants you. So every time he came, he said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. You know what he was saying to Jesus? You can't trust your Abba. You better not trust your father to take care of you. You better do something yourself. But Jesus so trusted his Abba. He so trusted God that he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, the verse that we just read earlier. Let's read together as he quotes back to the devil. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What they failed in, he made. He succeeded. He said to the devil, I can trust my father. I'm going to trust my father. I don't have to try to make something happen. I'm trusting my Abba. Before he did any miracle, before he preached, he had to go to Wilderness University. And I think just to say to everyone that he trusted every word the Father spoke. I want to tell you, God is trustworthy. God is so trustworthy that you can trust your Heavenly Father. And so these Bibles we carry around, they're more than just carrying them around. It's more than just saying it's the Word of God. It's believing that everything he said we can trust. Because we know that he loves us so very, very much. Well, when he picks disciples, guess what they're going to have to learn? How many of you guess what they're going to have to learn? They're going to have to learn what the children of Israel had to learn. They're going to have to learn to trust his word. And sometimes they did really, really well. Sometimes I'm so proud that they did really, really well. And you remember when they went to the wilderness, I call it Wilderness University, they too had to learn to trust his word. And one of the basic things he was trying to teach them as he was discipling them is that you can live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want to give you a couple examples. You remember in Luke chapter 5, the disciples had fished all night and caught nothing. How many of you have ever been there? I live there. I mean, I, we used to go out fishing a lot, and the first couple of times, Brenda would have grease on the stove and find out we didn't bring anything back. And later, when we went out fishing, she'd have chicken ready for us when we got back. So for me not to catch anything, not a surprise, but these were actual fishermen. They fished all night, didn't catch anything. And so Jesus showed up and he used one of their boats to teach a little bit. And they had already washed the nets. They had to be exhausted. They probably were wanting to go home and take a little siesta. And so Jesus says to him after he was teaching, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, they had fished all night. Common sense would tell you there wasn't a finch, fish in the cove. There wasn't a fish within miles. But when Jesus said, let down your nets for a catch, what were their chances of catching fish? 100%. When he said, let down your nets for, for, for a catch, I mean... I want to give Peter some credit. Peter made a lot of mistakes. Peter was often opening his mouth to change feet. I often think he was a good Baptist pastor. But Peter, I mean, I want to give Peter some credit. Here's what Peter says. Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. You think Jesus knew that? Yeah. He knew that. They had caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, because you said it, I will obey it. 
How many of you know he's about ready to get blessed? <laughs> Woo! I'm telling you, when you step out with God, when you follow God and step out of your comfort zone, you are going to be blessed. And you're not going to give yourself credit because you know you had nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing. And so he says, I will let down my nets. I think he was a little reluctant. Had the nets clean. He's probably mumbling to himself, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm doing this. But he lets down the nets. The Bible says when they let down the nets, they caught a great number of fish and their nets were breaking. Matter of fact, they had so much fish, they called for the other boat and they came, they filled both boats and the Bible says both boats were sinking. Now, if that were me, I'd be calling all my friends, wait, I won't believe what happened. I mean, this is unbelievable, man. We got two more. I mean, crazy. Woo! Woo! I'd be taking selfies. Now, that's what you do nowadays. Got your camera taking selfies. I'd, I'd be excited. But you know, the Bible says somehow when Peter obeyed God and when he saw the goodness of God, the Bible says he fell at Jesus' feet and said, depart from me, I am a sinful man. You know, when you understand the holiness of God and the goodness of God, it's not about fishing. It's about who God is. And the Bible says they left all of that and they followed Jesus. I don't know who cleaned the fish, but they left it all and they followed Jesus. Can I tell you, when you fall in love with Jesus, he's worth more than anything in your life you think is important. Man, when you really fall in love with God, he is the passion. He is the desire. He is the one that we want to live our life for. It isn't about numbers. It's not about a church. It's not about achieving a certain thing at work. It's about a relationship with God. And when you fall in love with God, nothing else really matters. Peter did pretty good here. A little bit later, they... Jesus put them on a boat after feeding the 5,000, got them out in the middle of the water. By the way, were they in God's will? Absolutely. Jesus put them on the boat, put them out in the middle of the water. I think God has some fun. Sometimes when you're in a storm, you might be right in the middle of God's will, and he lets you get in a storm. Why? Because he's wanting to see how you're going to react. When in the middle of a storm, if we were out on this boat, I would love to think that we would be out there praising God. Whoopee! I don't know what God's going to get us through this, but he put us on the boat. He promised us we're going to make it. But what were they doing? They were probably grumbling, complaining. They were uptight. They were worried. They were stressed out. It did, they could have died of stress and been totally safe. The Bible says the boat was now in the middle of the sea. And isn't that, isn't that just like God? He, he lets us get out in the middle of the water when all heck breaks loose. We're right out in the middle. It's tossed by the waves. The wind was contrary. I mean, they're just going every which way. And if you've ever been out on the water in a storm, I can only remember one that was somewhat like this. I was not praising God. I was not singing victory in Jesus. I was holding on for dear life. But you guys have much more faith. I love this. Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus walked out. Mark's gospel says he wasn't really going to go out to the boat. He was just walking by to see how they're doing. Isn't that good? 
He was just walking by to check up on them and just, you know, just see how they're doing, how they're reacting. He was just going to walk on by. So he walks out on the sea. They got all freaked out, if you remember. They saw Jesus walking, which would have been a little strange. And you remember what they said? It's a ghost! I, I don't know who said it. I think it was Peter. It's a ghost! They were so afraid. They were so stressed out. It's a ghost. Jesus says, be of good cheer. It's I. Can I tell you what I think God would whisper if he were here physically? He would tell every one of us, be of good cheer. Relax. I know you're going through a lot. I've got this. Do not fear. Isn't it sad that he had to tell his disciples, do not fear? Relax. Do not be afraid. I want to tell you, God absolutely knows everything you're going through, and he loves you. He's wanting to find out, do we believe that we can trust his word? And so I like Peter. Peter said to him, if it's you, he just got done saying it was him. But Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Can I give Peter some props? Peter understood something. Peter understood that if Jesus told him to come, that he could get out of that boat and walk on the water. How many of you kind of like the boat? When was the last time you stepped out of your comfort zone and did something radical for Jesus? As someone has said, when was the last time you did something for the first time for Jesus? Sometimes God wants you to get out of your comfort zone. And can I tell you, I believe when Peter got out of the boat and started walking to Jesus, he had a testimony for Wednesday night church. Don't you want to just get out of that boat at some point in your life, step out of that boat and walk to Jesus, but he did not walk. You know, people say he walked on the water. Well, that's true, but I think he walked on the word. He would have never made it on the water if Jesus didn't speak it. And so he says to Jesus, isn't this great? Isn't that amazing? He said to Jesus, if you command me to come, I can do it. Don't you want to be at that place in your life that if God speaks to you, you're willing to do whatever, to get out of the boat, to go wherever you need to go if God speaks? That's where we need to be. And so Jesus gives him one word, come. That wouldn't be enough for me. I'm just being honest. One word, come. I would have to have him explain how a fat boy can get out of a boat, the density of water, what are my chances of walking on water? I would want a little more information than come. But when Jesus said come, let me ask you, what were his chances of walking on the water? 100%. I imagine the other disciples said show off. Don't people hate it when somebody gets out of the boat and everybody else is still in the boat? I'm going to tell you, you're going to be criticized. You're going to be called a Baptocostal, a radical. When you get out of the boat and walk with Jesus, you will never die of boredom. But he started walking on the water. And then the Bible says, you know the story, he saw the wind, he began to be fearful, and he began to sink. When you get your eyes off of Jesus, when you forget what he said to you, 
when we begin to rely on our own understanding, we begin to sink. Now, I don't know how long it takes. I haven't scientifically done this. But how long would it take for a man to sink in water? Would he make it a second? He didn't have time to pray the Lord's Prayer. He didn't have time. He had time for three words. And I don't even think he got all three of those words out. I think he said, Jesus. I think Jesus had to interpret tongues right there. By the way, if you want a good prayer that works, this is a good prayer to memorize. I used to want to try to impress everybody with long prayers. But I want to tell you, when you're sinking, when you're just crying out to God, Lord, save me, it really is a good prayer. It really is a good prayer. So he cries out, Lord, save me. Now, if I were Jesus, I would have let him bob a couple times. Yeah. Because he didn't believe. He didn't have faith. He deserves to bob a little bit. Maybe choke a little water before I come and get him. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And he said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He was surprised that he doubted. I totally understand. But God wants us to have that childlike faith that we can trust our Abba. When he tells us to go, we have that childlike faith to be able to step out of the boat. Some of y'all look really, really nervous like you already know what you're supposed to be doing. I think of the words, we're, we're almost done. We got two more slides, three more slides. Turn to your neighbor and say three more slides. David said, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. You know, as I've been preparing this on Tittlewith and thinking about trusting God and living by every word, I wish I could stand before you and say that I always exactly follow what God tells me to do. Sometimes I get my eyes off of God. Sometimes I find myself going another direction. This is kind of my testimony over the last 40 years. Sometimes I do really, really well following God. And those are the times I like to brag about. Other times I find myself going in opposite directions, if I'm being honest. Sometimes I just have it all turned upside down. Here's where I want to be. I want to have a childlike faith and just trust my Abba. I think God is so pleased when we're in the middle of a storm and yet we believe that he loves us, that he cares about us, that he absolutely has our best interest. I want to close with this. You know, back in 1956, our country did something pretty amazing. They voted in Congress to tittle with. Did you know that? 1956, and the reason I always remember that year, that was the year I was born. Our country voted to tittle with, to trust in God. As a matter of fact, Congress passed that on all of our currency it would have this, in God we trust. In God we trust, on all of our currency. You say, how am I going to remember to trust? Every time you pull out currency, somewhere on that currency, it reminds you, in God we trust. 
Every single currency, somewhere on there, it has in God we trust. You know, last night I just looked on the internet and found some things that were going on. How many of you know that life gets pretty crazy? I mean, pretty crazy. Say, so what, what are we going to do again? Or, uh, what are we going to do if everything doesn't happen the way we thought and, and things are going all different directions? How are we going to survive? I'll tell you how we're going to survive. We're either going to trust in God or we're going to go crazy. Here's some of the, the, the things, the headlines over the last couple days. Four children hospitalized after roller coaster cars failed to stop at a Maryland amusement park. Torrential downpour in Turkey triggers deadly flooding. Eight dead, ten hospitalized in Ukrainian hotel fire. North Korea's Kim supervised new weapon test again. Texas dad charged with homicide after 12-year-old daughter crashes SUV into man and his dog. Israel intercepts Gaza rocket after weeks of calm. South Dakota woman who thought she was having a kidney stone went to the doctor and discovered she was in labor pain and gave birth to triplets. It's crazy out there. Let's stand. Let's stand together. So if you think you have a kidney stone, pray about it. I want you, and we've done this the last couple weeks. But again, I just think of children. Children have such an innocence in coming to their parents, grandparents, and just raising up their arms. I don't know what it is. Children just naturally reach up. And boy, the heart of a parent, when they see a child reaching up, is you just want to reach down. I want you just to say, God, I, I just want to have that childlike faith. I want to believe and know that you love me. I want to know you. And as a result of knowing you, it's so easy to jump. It's so easy to get out of the boat if you know he absolutely loves you. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. I'm telling you there's storms, there's darkness, there's battles. Satan wants you to doubt your relationship with God. Would you with childlike trust just reach up to your heavenly Father and just allow Him to reach down and remind you how much He loves you? If you feel comfortable, I just want you to either open your palms, reach up, and I just want you just to reach up to your heavenly Father. And I just pray that he would reach down and wrap his arms around you. He absolutely knows everything you're going through. He loves you. Maybe you're here today and for the first time in your life, maybe today's the day that you need to open up your heart and just commit your life to Christ. Realize that he died for you, and if you'll ask him to forgive you and to come into your life, I believe he will honor that. Today could be the greatest day of your life. Maybe right where you are, just to turn your life over to God and experience his love. If you've never been baptized, as we've witnessed this morning, I believe that's the first step of obedience, is to follow the Lord in baptism. Maybe you're visiting and this is where the Lord is leading you to plug in and become a member. 
Maybe you need to go to somebody that's here and just love on them for a minute. Or if you need someone to pray with you or pray for you, we would love to do that. So let's just take a minute as David plays softly. If you need to come, you come. If not, just right where you are, would you just love on God and just let him love on you?